Acts chapter 2. We shall read verse 38, verse 38 together. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, reading. Repent and, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. May God bless the reading of his word. Let us turn to God in prayer. Eternal God, our gracious, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for journey mercies to thy house. And especially for this day that is set apart for us to worship you, to serve you, and to be in your presence. And Father, we pray for cleansing and washing of all our sins, even as we gather to study your word, for which we are thankful for every opportunity. Lord, may your Holy Spirit be our teacher, grant to us understanding, grant to us obedience. Lord, may your truth set us free. For we know that it is only in your word that we will find truth. We ask and pray for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we've been studying the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And we've understood the various terms that God uses for the work of the Holy Spirit. Every believer has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the infilling of the Holy Spirit is the enabling power that constantly should be sought for by the Christian, but the indwelling is once and for all, once saved, always saved. Indwelling refers to the permanent relationship that the believer has with the Holy Ghost who will never leave them, all right? But this power, this um, enabling abilities, now that is the feeling that goes on in the believer's life that we should seek for. Now, when we study the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, there's one thing that we cannot avoid not talking about. All right? We cannot avoid but to have to talk about this particular movement. That is the charismatic movement. Because in the charismatic movement, the emphasis of the Holy Spirit and its thinking about the Holy Spirit must be understood by us, by all Christians. Now, I want us to turn also to our BBK books, page 99. All right, page 99. Page 99. Now, the charismatic movement <clears throat> have an emphasis of desiring to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, right? So that is something that is emphasized um, in various segments of charismatic movement, baptism by the Holy Spirit. Now, is this a doctrinally sound, scriptural um, teaching? Now, first and foremost, let's look at, let's look at your BBK books, okay? It is current, uh, look at the bottom of page 99. It is currently fashionable in some Christian groups and churches. So not just the charismatic movement. Increasingly, it has spread even to maybe some of us. Now, the last paragraph, to teach that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a post-conversion experience which all believers are urged to strive for after they have been saved. Now, this is where the term baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a biblical term. Now, I think I'd rather change this to make it clearer, the term baptism by the Holy Spirit, all right? 
So maybe you could make a note there, baptism by the Holy Spirit. Now, is this a biblical term which we often hear about, even read about in Christian books? Now, let us turn to the next page, page 100. Now, the quotation, can you make a change also? I don't think it's Mark 1.8, it's John 1.33, all right? John 1.33. Now, let us read this verse together. I indeed have baptized you with water. Uh, are you there? Page 100, the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure what is the new book page. Uh, what is the new book page? Anyone? 100? Okay. Let's read this verse together. I indeed baptize you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Now, Scripture uses these terms carefully and explains who does the baptizing. In Scriptures, is explained that he, which is Christ, now it is Christ, Christ who shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Now, let me perhaps draw this. Here is the believer. Here is the believer, all right? Does the Holy Spirit and Christ, all right? Who does the baptizing of the Spirit? Are we baptized by Christ or are we baptized by the Holy Spirit? The Bible doctrinally explains something that we do not see. It says it is He, Christ, that baptizes you with. We are baptized by Christ, not the Holy Spirit. We are baptized by Christ with the Holy Spirit. All right? So we must understand this is how God works. You will never see in Scriptures any description where the Holy Spirit baptizes you at all. So the Godhead, the Trinity, functions like that, and you cannot change that. Once you make up your own thinking and your own doctrines, you end up with erroneous practices which will end up in errors, doctrinal errors which Satan loves. A new movement forms. So that is the first thing we must understand. Now look at page 101. 101. Let's read. Um, oh, we've read this already, Acts 2.38, the second paragraph. Now, it says that Christ shall forgive your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. Now, at the point of salvation, when your sins are washed away, all right, what happens? The Bible again describes and tells us something invisible that you don't see. At that point of receiving Christ as your saviour. God says you will receive a gift, a gift. And this gift is called the Holy Spirit, a gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You must understand this off, okay? So, the Greek term for off can be genitive, it comes out from someone, or it can describe, well, it, this is what it is. Just like English term, maybe I say this, it is your birthday. I will give you a gift of money. Or I will give you a gift of, um, of a bicycle. Right? A gift of. You're describing what is this gift. It is not 
that the Holy Spirit gives, gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit giving you gifts. But it is always about what that gift is at salvation. All right, so when the believer comes to Christ for salvation, for forgiveness, one thing happens. You receive a gift and the Holy Spirit. That is where the indwelling begins. All right? Another description in scriptures is you'll be baptized with, baptized by Christ with the Holy Spirit. So now, scriptures describe this invisible thing. We have to accept that. Why must I explain this? Because in segments of Christianity today, over time, there is this idea that arose that the believer is baptized by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit gives you gifts. And as a result of that, they seek a second blessing. And they will ask, well, have you, have you been baptized by the Holy Spirit? Well, if you have not, you must seek it. And you must, only when you have this second baptism, they call it, then you will experience a change, a power. Right? So Christians are told to seek that. Now, in the first place, the Holy Spirit does not, is, doesn't baptize us, so we should not seek. Holy Spirit, can you please baptize me? You can't seek something that God never intended in their roles. You can't seek, well, Holy Spirit, can you give me these gifts? In that sense, you also cannot, because it is the gift of the Holy Spirit at salvation is a different thing. Now, the point is this. Every single believer, the fact that God says, every one of you believe uh, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the Holy Spirit, means this. Every believer has, has already received that gift of the Holy Spirit. You do not seek again this gift of the Holy Spirit. There is no such thing as certain groups of Christians, and this is where the problem is in erroneous doctrine. Certain groups of Christians having a second baptism and have received this second gift of the Holy Spirit after salvation. Every believer has this gift. There is no special group and you should not seek to be part of this special group of people that have a, that gift of the Holy Spirit and being baptized by the Holy Spirit and try to seek that. Today, certain groups, they will teach you, all right? Attend after you're saved, you have to attend, you attend certain courses on receiving this second baptism and receiving this gift by the Holy Spirit. So I remember talking to um, a, a couple. They got saved and they wanted to join a church. They were in a charismatic church. They came for our church camp and I said, oh, um, and I said, well, we are going to attend this church. And uh, next week, in fact, after church camp, they are going to attend a course. So I say, well, what course is that? They say, well, it is, it is to attend this course where they will teach us to receive the second baptism and teach us to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you see, that is now almost like an established um, understanding. The same for my, one of my niece as well. Um, after salvation, she said, oh, now is instead of like catechism, it is this cause, how to receive this gift. Everyone has the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's the first thing we must understand doctrinally because now we can talk about 
the charismatic movement. Now look at your BBK books. All right, page 101. There is currently a worldwide movement in the name of Holy Spirit Renewal. You see, there's a focus on the Holy Spirit. It's a Holy Spirit Renewal or the charismatic movement. All right, another name for the Holy Spirit Renewal is the charismatic movement, which we are more familiar with. Or the third wave movement involving professing Christians, Protestants, and Roman Catholics. Now, Christian must know in, in the history of this um, movement, because of erroneous understanding, erroneous teachings, this movement has grown from a very small location in Azusa Street in the US, a very small location, and is now a global movement based on certain beliefs of the Holy Spirit's working, such as baptized by the Holy Spirit, receiving the second blessing, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit after salvation. It has grown to now billions of people in this movement. Now, how, how, how can we ignore this? Is this correct? What is this third wave? Well, then the Christian must understand. First wave, all right? The first wave. Now, the first wave began about the 1900s. Okay, so I'm giving you some, some history about this movement. It was the Azusa Street Revival. That's why it's called a renewal. And what is this revival about? Now, there is a, a preacher called Charles Palm. He began to propound wrong doctrines about the Holy Spirit, tongue speaking, and so on, healing. Now then, one day, one, one young girl claimed that she receive the gift of speaking in tongues. So tongue speaking has, been, has, has not been there since after the book of Corinthians. We don't hear it anymore. Suddenly in the 1900s, there was this claim of renewal. The Holy Spirit now renewed these gifts. So we must seek it. So this began to spread. So that's the first wave. All right, It was called the Pentecostal movement. So now you hear what denominations? I'm going to say I'm the Pentecostal denomination, okay? Belong to Pentecostal church. That is where it began, Pentecost. Because they base it on, well, at Pentecost, the people spoke in tongues. So they call it the Pentecostal renewal. That Acts chapter 2 had Pentecostal tongue speaking. Now it's a renewal. We are experiencing it today. So then there's tongue speaking. So at this point, they said, well, have you, after salvation, have you, are you, do you speak in tongue? No, then you must seek it. All right, you must seek it. Seek this second blessing. Seek this new power, the gift of the Holy Spirit. It means the Holy Spirit will give you this gift. Now, many groups in Christianity rejected this. They say, no, this, this, this is not biblical understanding of, of tongues and the Holy Spirit. So, mainline churches, they rejected this. But over time, when you hit about 50, 60 years later, about the 60s, all right? This began to spread to other mainstream denominations, right? But the mainstream denominations like Presbyterian, Baptist, and, and so on, they, they reject this Pentecostal ideas because in there it became very wild all right screaming um, people falling down and um, all sorts of very um, chaotic worship 
and all sorts of strange ideas. They rejected the Pentecostal um, movement, but they feel that, yes, tongue-speaking, um, miracles, well, these are revived. But they don't want to call themselves Pentecostals because they don't want to be associated with the rest of the strange and erroneous doctrines. So they call themselves the charismatic group. All right? Why charismatic? Because charisma means gift. All right? So they keep focusing on this gift, gift, gift. Charismatic movement, charisma. Now, but actually, when it first started, there are two things that they focus on. All right? Signs. Well, if you speak in tongue, it's a sign that you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. All right? Signs and other signs. And other signs, wonders. Right? Wonders. Miracles. All right? So lots of emphasis now on signs and wonders. So when they first started, they were actually called the Signs and Wonders Movement. Okay? I guess over time, they realized that this is not very nice. So they call themselves charismatic because... Now let's turn our Bibles to Matthew. Right, Matthew chapter 24. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 7. And that's what I want, to, want you to turn to. Matthew chapter 7. All right, let's read verses um, 21 to 23, reading. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And I will profess unto you, unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now here God is showing us the future judgment day. And he said there will be a group, and he said many will say many, this word many means a big majority, many. So don't be surprised that this is a very big group of so-called Christians, because they will say, Lord, Lord. They will call Jesus Christ Lord. Lord, Lord. But I say, please don't think that anyone in Christendom, even if it's a majority group that calls me Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Verse 22, many, the majority will say. Now, what they would say, have you not prophesied in thy name? So number one, there will be a big group of people of so-called Christian. They will say, we prophesy in your name. Prophecies. Number two, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done wonderful work. Cast out devils, signs, wonderful works, wonders, miracles. So God says that at the day of judgment, there will be a very huge group of Christians who sing about him, talk about him, preach about him, who focuses on when they meet Christ. They don't talk, talk, talk to Christ about anything except signs and wonders. 
we did signs and wonders. Are signs and wonders naturally from God? No. He said, depart from me. Ye that work what? Iniquity. The signs and wonders that you talk about, they are iniquity. They are sin. I've never commanded those things. Neither is it from me. So, the charismatic movement perfectly fits this group. Erroneous understanding of so-called renewal of Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now will do all these things, signs and wonders in another age, is erroneous. Then the, of course it won't stop there. You see, once you start an erroneous doctrine, it will snowball. And people will love it because who don't like signs and wonders and miracles and healings and all these things. Now then it moved to the third wave which we talk about here. Now, this third wave is also sometimes known as all right, neo-charismatism. Neo, neo means the next modern, the next phase, all right? Neo-charismatism. Now, now it is non-Pentecostal, it is non-charismatic also, meaning to say it has moved beyond the charismatic group. So, for example, um, a BP church, all right, is not in the charismatic movement. But can a BP church have these ideas. Yes, that's called the third wave. The same ideas, we don't call ourselves Pentecostal, we don't call ourselves charismatic. Can a so-called mainstream, non-charismatic, non-Pentecostal Baptist church actually be in the third wave? Yes. Now, what is this third wave is about then? So, now it is a focus on blessings. Right? For example, the Toronto blessing. Some of you may have heard about it. They believe there's an outflow, outpouring, very unique blessing. And then, well, all sorts of funny things happen. People bark like dogs, um, move around the floor like snakes, um, um, scream and shout. Right? So blessings, special blessings. And then there is power evangelism. What is power evangelism? We'll talk about more of this in detail in some of the future chapters. Power evangelism, it is about you need to show signs and wonders to people, then they will believe. So you must show the power of God, how to show. Have miracles, have healing, ah, then people will believe evangelism. People will believe, so they call it power evangelism. Am I a charismatic church? No. Am I a Pentecostal church? No. But we, we still we believe in all these miracles so that people will come to believe in God. So this is another one. And then the other aspect of this is modern-day apostles and prophets. The reviving, all right, so the renewing of the Holy Spirit, the reviving of capital A apostles, capital P prophets. Why do I say capital A? means these apostles, because in the Bible, the word apostle simply means someone who is sent with a message, all right? But the capital A apostle refer to the 12 apostles. Means this renewal in the third wave says that, that in churches today, God is raising apostles, like in the day where he selected apostles. So am I an apostle? I am an apostle. I'm a, someone who is sent by God with a message, called by God and with a message. But I'm not a capital A apostle because the capital A apostle are people who, when they write, when they preach and it gets encapsulated, they are speaking God's word, right? God used the apostles 
to write scriptures, to set authorities of what is from God. That is a capital A apostle, all right? And they raised the dead as well. But God says at the end of it, these 12 apostles in Revelation, it's just 12, the 12 pillars. That is it. But they say now, new one. So now you have pastors claiming that I am an apostle. When they say that they are claiming to be this kind of apostle, it means they are equivalent to apostle um, Peter, apostle uh, Paul, and so on. That is what it means. And once you have that, you cannot run away from capital P, prophets. Now, the word prof, prophesy in the Bible can mean preach, all right? Or can mean foretell the future. You have to know the context, all right? The word simply means preach or foretell. Which one? So, once you are capital A apostle, then naturally what you speak is now authoritative as if from God. Even if, well, it doesn't jive, it, doesn't, it contradicts scriptures as I know it. Well, it doesn't matter because God has given new apostles and He overrides what is here, what you have in your hand. That is why today, many don't really go to church to listen to Bible preaching. They get frustrated. We want to hear prophecies. We want to know prophecies. You expound the word, they are bored. We want new revelations. So naturally, with the capital A apostles, capital P prophesying, now this is foretelling, will occur. So these are the three movements, all right? We are currently in this phase. This still continues. This still continues. Now, why do I need to explain all this? We have to ask, is, are the beliefs in there biblical? Because they keep saying the Holy Spirit is the one who is giving all this and doing all this and baptizing people and going around baptizing people with all these abilities. Now, let's look at two key things first. So you notice that the, the focus is tongue speaking. Our focus are tongue speaking. One, tongue speaking. Two, in this phase, prophesying. All right? Foretelling. Speaking as if it's the full authority of God, even if it is not in the Bible. It's extra information. It is authoritative. Tongue speaking and prophesying. Because Christ himself said in Matthew chapter 7, he said, the people say, have we not prophesied in thy name? They are not talking about, well, um, I preach your word. No, because from the context, it's about signs and wonders. Have you not prophesied in your name? Means, have you not foretold think, and told people, this is what you say to people, even though it's outside the additional information that you tell us to say to people, we have prophesied. So Christ said, they will come and say, I prophesied. So we have to understand, is this correct? Why Christ is not correct? Then have we not done wonderful work, signs, all right? One of the wonderful signs is tongue speaking and, of course, miracles, all right? Miracles. Are these correct? Well, deal with, we'll deal with one issue at a time. Now, turn to page 102. 102. Let's deal with tongues first. Should Christians still speak in tongues today? It started with that, it's still continuing with that. Now know this, there are groups within Christendom who do not believe in this church-wide public tongue speaking. But they believe in private, personal tongue speaking. They say that is still present. That's why 
we are in the third wave, all right? It's still present. They don't emphasize so much on public, church-wide tongue-speaking, like the Pentecostal or some charismatic churches. There's a group in the BP movement in history. So please don't think all BPs are sound. You better check. Where some of the pastors were sent overseas, they imbibed this third wave. They came back and they began to say, private tongue speaking still exists. That caused one of the split in the Bible Presbyterian movement. Because it's always started with believing in one thing, tongues speaking in the Bible, kind of tongue speaking, has ceased, stopped, finished. No more to be revived. So tongue speaking, has it ceased or not? Now I want you to turn with me to Acts. Well, let's, let's look at this, the, the passage on tongue speaking. First Corinthians. Turn to First Corinthians. Now understand um, scriptures clearly. First Corinthians chapter 13. All right. Now, the Apostle Paul was dealing with tongue-speaking problems in the church in 1 Corinthians 13 and 14. Know that tongue-speaking existed in the Bible. We do not deny that. All right? Please don't say that, oh, this church don't believe that tongue-speaking ever existed. We believe it existed. Paul had to deal with something, and he explained what will happen to tongues. Now, look at chapter 13. Now, let us read... Verse, um, verse 8 and 9, verse 8 to 10 together. Verse 8 to 10. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But, that, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. So God use the Apostle Paul to explain what will happen to, number one, tongues. What will happen to, number two, prophesying. That is the foretelling and say, I speak and then it should be written and this is God's word. These two things, now God says, look at, he said, verse, verse 11, verse 8, whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, they shall vanish away. Prophecies shall fail. Now, what is this saying? Let's deal with tongues first. Tongues shall cease. Do you believe that? Now, this word cease, and you cannot argue with language, all right? This word cease is in the middle voice of the verb. Middle voice means um, by itself, all right? At some point, by itself, it will stop itself. Like today, afterwards, we will learn the term about a particular term. God says, think. It's also in the middle voice. You must understand what it is. So this verb is specifically used in the middle voice to say, tongues at some point by itself, it will cease. It will stop. Never to revive again. You, when you read scriptures, after the book of Corinthians, you do not hear any teaching, any mention in the churches about tongues speaking anymore. Now, what was tongues given for? Tongues was given for, now if you turn to chapter 14. 
chapter 14. All right, now let's read verse 22 together. Wherefore, wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. Now, what is God saying? Sign, tongues is a sign. Sign to the unbelievers. At Pentecost, God's intention was to spread the people out to different places, from, Jude- from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to uttermost parts of the world. God chose the day of Pentecost where Jews from all over the world will come back. But they have grown up in other countries. They do not speak, all right, the, their mother tongue anymore. They will speak all sorts of different languages. But God will, at that time, outpour salvation. Thousands will be saved, and they will go back to their own country and begin to plant churches and preach in their own language. So God chose Pentecost because it is the prime place and time where all these Jews will come back. So it's a sign where these people will get saved, unbelievers, they hear the gospel in their own language, they get saved. How would the apostle on the day of Pentecost be able to suddenly preach in another language of another country and get people saved and send them back to plant churches? They cannot, unless they take another three, four years maybe to learn the language. So God would use this special sign. In Acts chapter 2, you know, they all began to speak with tongues, right? Now, in fact, look at, put a finger here, turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. God, in his wisdom, made sure that we knew, that we know what this sign, what these language, languages are. Now, look at verse, let's read verse 7. Uh, verse 7 and they, all, and they all were amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are these not um, that speak Galileans? Verse 8, And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? You see, they are born in another country. Now they come here, they don't understand the original tongues of the apostles of the original languages. But they say, hey, they speak in my tongue. It's just like a, a, someone from Thailand come and suddenly they hear the pastor preach in their entire language without learning it. So it was a sign. Now, so it says, speak in my own tongue. Please know the word tongue is not some mystical thing. The word tongue simply means in Greek is, is your language. Your language. It's a known language. To make very sure that God help us to understand that today there will be false tongues. God gave a list. Look at verse 9 to, to verse 11. A whole long list of places which speak different languages. Now, in the wisdom of God, what's the point? What's the point of telling, well, Medes, Elamites, um, and all this? They don't exist anymore. Why does God want to put all this? To make us know these were languages. The tongues, so number one, it was for a sign. Do we still need this today? No, because the Bible is translated to all sorts of languages. There are people trained in their who are got saved in their own language, they're preaching their own language. It has spread it already. Now, even you say, well, maybe there is, maybe there is. Maybe for some special situation, I walk into the forest in Amazon. 
Well, if you do speak in tongue, then it must be that language. But today, linguists have studied this tongue-speaking phenomena and have concluded it is not a language. There is no structure. It is random. Everyone is random. There is nothing in there that, that spells off the structure of a human earthly language. All right? So, number one, it is a sign. This sign has, is not necessary today anymore. But it says cease. It was seized by itself. Now, if some people argue furthermore, well, well, look at verse, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, chapter 13, 13, quickly. Now, God says that prophecy shall fail, knowledge shall vanish away, tongue shall cease. Now, I say, well, when, when will this happen? For tongues, at some point by itself, it will cease, okay? Now, what about prophecies? This whole thing, have you not prophesied in your name? Because these prophecies will fail. Why will they fail? Because there is no more need for prophecies. Once you have the Bible, you, there is no more need for prophecies. What God wants to prophesy and tell you of the future is in here. You don't look for a pastor and say, well, you know, well, he read this and he said, wow, I, this country will, our nation will be this and all that, and people get very excited. Or oh, your family will be this. I prophesy that you will be having a child. And that, all kinds of things. But God says they will fail. There is no more need for prophecies. Then knowledge shall vanish away. What is knowledge? You say, don't we have constantly, dis aren't we constantly discovering um, things? It's not that knowledge. The knowledge of God, any knowledge about God, His commandments, His prophecies, this knowledge are all that God wants you to know are all in the Bible already. That is why, look at verse 10. When will this cease? Uh, when will this pass away? Verse 10, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. You see, they did not have the Bible yet, it's in part. They did not know eschatology yet, it's in part. But at some point, when the perfect is come and it is the Bible, when the Bible is complete, you ignore whoever say, I'm apostle, I'm prophesying of what God has told me that you don't know about. So they become very powerful. But they will argue. Perfect is not the Bible. So, one argument is perfect, is that which is perfect is come. So, they argue that is Christ, that perfect. Who is perfect? Christ is come. Christ has a second coming. He promised that. So, that which is perfect is come refers to Christ coming. So, until Christ coming, tongue speaking can revive. Until Christ coming, prophesying definitely can be revived and can, can and exist until Christ that which is perfect is come at the second coming. Now, is this correct? Again, you cannot argue with language. All right? You can keep arguing that it's your belief. But if the language doesn't say that, you, can, you must acknowledge that you're wrong. Because this perfect here is chosen, a word chosen that is in a gender neutral term. Gender neutral means not male or female. Christ is male. Every reference to Christ in the Bible is masculine. So this perfect cannot be referring to Christ, that which is perfect. Well, then say, well, okay, not Christ, but the coming, the coming, the coming. After the coming, then no more prophesying, no more need. No more need for miracles, all right? Is it correct? Now, the word for the coming of Christ is parousia, is feminine, feminine. So the coming of Christ is, the term is a feminine term. You see, why would God choose a Greek language? Because the Greek language 
is a very precise language. Very precise. And God would choose the Greek language that will die. What do you mean? Today, there's modern Greek. It's different from Bible Greek. Different. This is an acknowledged, this is, this is how they speak, this is that language at that time, the syntax, the grammar, all those is unique. When I say die, it means not useless. It means it's sealed. You cannot argue that that is what they meant by understanding what it is now. All right? So the language is a sealed language. God chose that it cast and concrete. You cannot argue with it and this and very precise language. So for this, parousia is, is feminine. Coming is feminine. So God did not choose masculine, feminine. He chose the very precise term, a neuter term. And the neuter term in the Bible and in another part of scriptures where this word perfect is used, is used to refer to the Bible. Turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Quickly, and i go to the end. James chapter 1. Now, let's read verse 25 together. Verse 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Whosoever looketh into the, word, into the perfect law of liberty. The law, this word perfect, sorry, this word perfect is the exact same word where in 1 Corinthians 14 says, 13 says, that which is perfect is come. It's the same word. And here it's used to refer to what? Perfect law of liberty. In other words, the word of God. You hear it, you, you, you observe it, you continue therein and not be forgetful, hearer of the word. So this is referring to the Bible. When the Bible is complete, there is no more need, obviously, for prophecies. They shall fail. So all these people that they talk, fail means they are false. They are erroneous. They are not to be taken heed to. All right? So these two things from the understanding of scriptures tells us that this move, the basis upon which this movement is built and continues today is erroneous, unbiblical. Let us continue next week. Let us turn to God in prayer.